Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex. Friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together, move to the city to become big-time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford, like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening. And then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford, this is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy. And sometimes we all need a big sister to call on. Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals and non-binary pals. You're listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny and feminist advice on all the things that matter. Life, love and whether or not you should break up with your no-good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler, the answer is always yes. Thank you so much to everyone who's been sending in questions and also offering so many beautiful comments about the podcast. I'm so glad you're enjoying it because I have nothing else to do with my Fridays. And I'm really grateful to have something wholesome and positive to work on during global quarantine. I think there's something really reassuring in knowing that human desires, enjoyments and even insecurities remain the same through most turmoil. Not even a global pandemic can quell our longing for love and happiness. So virtual hugs and elbow bumps for everyone. This is a unifying force, even if it doesn't feel like it. And if you do need some connection, advice, or even just to reach out and know that someone is there on the other side of the divide, you can email me on bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. Now, each week on the hotline, I'm joined by a very special guest who brings their own brand of big sister expertise to help answer your dilemmas, conundrums, and straight up anxieties about life. And this week, I couldn't be happier to welcome one of Australia's, nay, the world's finest talents, a woman of so many different skills and abilities, not least of which is having incredible hair. A graduate from WAPA, the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, she starred in All Saints, Winners and Losers, and the thrillingly feminist gothic tour de force of Judy and Punch. Her performance as Calamity Jane was described as unmissable, with a woman herself being called the pansexual butch of our dreams. She is the one, the only, Virginia Gay. Hello, Clementine Ford. How are you, my darling? Oh, I'm all the better for seeing you, Virginia Gay. 
What a thrill. What an absolute thrill. What a delight. God, I was listening to your podcast this morning. I was listening to the one with Jordan, and I was like, this is heaven. This is what we need in the world right now. Sex positive feminist advice for that incredibly awkward stage in your life, which can sometimes start at eight and finish at, well, I'm 38. So let's, yeah, still just looking for advice. That's me. I mean, I'm also 38 and I feel like maybe, yeah, I don't have it all figured out at all, but I do love, I do love what happens when women get together and talk about the things that we've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, it is just needed as much as ever now because oh, this is a, like a very somber, horrible note to start on. But yesterday um, I was sent all of these messages by women in Melbourne uh, about this Facebook group, you know, another Facebook group of toxic fucking <laughs> losers. Grim. Yeah, and it's fucking hard out there anyway to, to you know, so, to sort of navigate these, uh, you know, navigate relationships, navigate that dynamic. But when you add in social media to the mix and... <laughs> the ways in which it can be misused. I would be terrified to be a young woman today. I know. I know. I mean, listen, there are things that I would do different about my 20s and my teenage years, but the idea of going back into that time in my life again and doing it again and also doing it with everyone with a camera phone, no thank you. Yeah, yeah. and also th- th- just not knowing who you can trust, I think, is... Mm, God, yeah. It's so undermining. Uh, what I love, what I love about your podcast is that it's um, a version of what we're all doing at the moment, which is how do you show up for people if you cannot literally show up for them? Like, mm. what do you do in the world right now when you can't hug your friends and tell them it's all going to be all right and have a snotty cry all over each other? So you've got to, we've got to find other ways to show up for each other, and this is one of them. Oh, I love that. Putting it like that, yeah. Mm. I think I was chatting with a friend last night. You know, uh, weirdly as well, I'm sure this is a common experience for a lot of people. Uh, I'm talking to my friends a lot more than I oh, yeah. did before. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to – it was previously so easy to allow life and obligations and work and everything else to kind of get in the way of catching up because you just felt so overwhelmed all the time. And now yeah. I feel like that enforced slowing down has ironically – kind of sped up the rest of my relationships. It's absolutely right, right? Because you are really putting time into the friendships and are going consciously and lovingly, I'm thinking about you, I miss you, I'm going to prioritise connecting with you and making sure that you're okay, which is absolutely glorious. But also this sense of you are having to have a really conscious relationship with yourself at the moment too, because you haven't got all of your standard panaceas so you haven't got achievement you haven't got like work you haven't got like the sort of reinforcement of fame however a double-edged sword that is Mm. so you have had to you have to go and listen very carefully and very honestly to your body and go my god I'm feeling overwhelmed I have no um I mean and certainly we've all done a bunch of drinking to see if the overwhelm will go away my friend sent me a meme the other day of um it's just a coffee cup an animated coffee cup desperately running to pass a baton to a glass of wine and this is (laughs) (laughs) well I feel very seen by that meme very seen indeed why are you attacking me (laughs) (laughs) it's community it's support this feeling of like um 
So yes, we have to, we're really thinking about other people and we're thinking about other people's mental health really actively and proactively, but we also have, you've got a responsibility now. You're the only person who is the frontline, the frontline port of call care situation for yourself, because often people are isolating by themselves. There's no, and as I said, there are no, there are none of these, these sort of external struts that give you your sense of self and your sense of self-worth and, and acknowledge with lines in the sand. Well, I did a full day's work today. Well, I got paid in this way. Well, I got this. So you have to actually really, really listen to what you think makes you accountable during a day to what, you know, brings you happiness and what kind of happiness that is, whether it's a fleeting high and whether you're really prepared to take the, the crash that comes after it, or whether it's like those weird kind of nourishing long-term happiness. Oh, this thing too. I love the way people are rethinking about comfort eating and they're saying things with love. They're saying, I'm, I'm eating this food because it comforts me because my body wants it because I'm scared and I'm processing things. And also possibly because we've got some sort of glorious, um, Neanderthal brain that is telling us like, I mean, this is a global pandemic. Eat, eat to nourish and eat to survive. I just love that. I love the way people are, it's not about looking a certain way or achieving certain things. It's your one responsibility is to look after yourself and to look after the people you love while not being there. So you've just got to think clearly and honestly with yourself. Mm. I agree. And I think that part of uh, what's, you know, feeding into that. Um, yes, indeed. Well, part of that is, you know, everyone's joking about, oh, I'm learning to bake sourdough and I'm learning to mm. bake cakes and I'm cooking and I'm, you know, sort of returning to this kind of slow domestic life. And it's fun to, to make jokes about that kind of thing. But actually, one of the reasons why we enjoy that so much is because the process of, um, you're talking about comforting ourselves and comforting mm. our body with food and with nice things. But the process of actually putting those things together is really comforting in itself as well. And I I love that effect that, um, or I love that byproduct of what's happening right now is this, you know, we've sort of all unintentionally been forced into the slow food movement. Yes, Um, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I find that uh, for me, because I live half of the week I live with my three-year-old and half of the week he's with his dad. But, you know, mm. living with a three-year-old is not the same as living with another adult, of course. So no, I'm, it is not. Yeah, and no. I'm eating a lot by myself and I'm cooking food by myself and I'm finding a lot of comfort and joy in, you know, putting things together that take that require a lot of steps and require a lot of planning and preparation because yeah. the actual process, the alchemy of it all is a reminder of why why we eat and why we need this nourishment. Yes. Of taking care of ourselves. Yes, absolutely. And I'm the kind of person too who thinks, I mean, my whole life I've thought like pleasure is a political act. Mm. You know, that this is like, it's really important to know exactly what makes you happy and to do it regardless of like whether whether you not I mean obviously not whether you should if it hurts anybody else but like this idea of going like I don't care if it's not cool it makes me really happy to do this Mm. but this time now too that that pleasure is important in a way it's not it's not political you're not taking a stand it's like it's your first responsibility to 
find the things that make you happy, make you calm. As you say, to observe the ritual, to actually also recognize how much work goes into these things that we've taken so much for granted, started to make sourdough recently. Yeah. Well, tell you, it's so goddamn difficult. It's so fraught with danger. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's been a bit confronting for a lot of people, and for particularly, I mean, I would say that you and I are both, we're... <sighs> We're probably high achieving ladies, you know, in that we, yes. we set goals for ourselves and we would have been particular kinds of teenagers. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pony club types. Um, Teacher's pet was the phrase I used yes. about myself when I was being unkind to myself. <laughs> yes, I've, I, in fact, I said that to someone the other day. Talking about sourdough, I've always been a teacher's pet. Heaven. Um, yeah, so particular kinds of, of people and... I think one of the confronting things and the necessary things that we've sort of realising through this as well is that you don't have to be racing around all the time. You don't have to oh, be producing yes. constantly. And, you, you know, obviously you can still set – we're still setting goals. Um, mm. But the the knowledge that you can actually live a slower life and it won't take anything away from you, it won't get yeah. you off the track – that you yes. think you've put yourself on, yeah, is is actually really liberating, you know, confronting what, at first, but liberating. Yes, and what is that track to begin with? Mm. And was it actually making you happy, or was it just giving you external markers of success that you were using to hold you together? Because, I, like with you, I learnt and taught myself very early on that external markers of success were incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. And they got really reinforced. And when you were uh, a high-achieving dame, absolutely, that was so important to me, so important to me. So as that stuff falls away, and it's been falling away for me too because I've been here in America, and so I have consciously walked away from a lot of things that absolutely used to hold me together. Mm. Work, yes. Fame, yes. My friends and my family, actually walking away from that. So going, and don't get me wrong, I became an absolute puddle for a couple of months where I was like oh I have no external struts to hold me together Mm. and then to come through that and go okay so those were external struts I can't rely on them coming back I can't I have no control over when or how they come back work very particularly so I've got to do internal structure for myself because that's the one thing I can control in this situation. I can control my sense of my self-worth and then you have to really ask yourself questions about what you know in your heart of hearts makes you feel valuable and loved and worthwhile mm. because you have to talk about your love language, you have to think about like how you show up for people in the world and all that stuff too. And really this time too, this time very particularly right now, this pandemic, it's just giving you so much space to observe your patterns and whether those patterns were actually serving you or whether they were just, they were something that was in place from old thinking or, or any number of other reasons. The, so the, what are these patterns? Sorry, I was Go on. say uh, things that you used as replacements for whatever it was that you felt you couldn't. I mean, I wonder if there's some crossover in your experience as particularly as a teenager of thinking um, that certain you, you didn't fit into certain patterns of mm. of girlhood and so oh, yeah. you responded by becoming a real high achiever in other ways 
You know? Oh, totally. Absolutely. And an entertainer too yeah. for me. Mine was, I know I'm not pretty, so I'll be the fucking funniest person in the room. And I know that like, yeah, all of the language that you tell yourself as a teenager, I know I'm not fuckable, but mm. like all of that. And yeah. all of the active work that you have to do to unlearn that and to really value yourself. <laughs> it's a lifetime's amount of work and god as i said if i could do my teenage years again i'd do so much differently but fuck me i do not want to go back even to fix things no and i remember in one of the first episodes uh that we did we talked about in fact it might have just been a couple of couple of episodes ago um time has taken on a very strange uh, hasn't it just shape during the somebody a friend of mine on twitter said it's been wednesday for the last three and a half weeks right yeah it's like we're in a constantly we're in we're constantly in that state between Christmas and New Year's. It's the taint. Yeah. Yes. It's just there. Um, but we were so a couple of episodes. It was with Claire Bowditch. Actually, we were talking about. Oh, teenage, I love her. I know she's wonderful. Um, we were talking about the teenage years and how, to an extent, they're horrible. They're awful. And if they're not awful for you, then you're not doing them right, and you're not learning enough from them. Um, True. But to an extent, you just kind of have to go through the fire of them and experience the torture of them because mm. you come out the other side with, a, you know, a valuable perspective and it is that sort of conflict of, you know, you would do so many things differently but you would only do them differently because you went through them to know how differently you would do them. Exactly. I heard myself saying the other day, no, I'm grateful for everything that has brought me here, which is not an attitude that I ever necessarily had. I always have been thinking about the way that I would do things differently in the past and how that would um, value add to my life currently. And I just, I truly felt it like just maybe a month ago, I was like, oh no, I'm grateful for everything that brought me here. Absolutely everything. This is also partly because you can hear my language change because I have just started meditation for the first time in my entire life. Uh, just and let everyone sweet. know that Virginia's in LA. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm LA. So basically I'm sitting in a garden of kale right now and I'm four inches off the ground because I'm meditating at such a high level. I basically levitate. <laughs> but it's so amazing to me, just this level of, um, oh Christ, I wish, I, I wish meditation had been a part of my life, my entire life, because it's brought me so much calm. Well, and Marie, I, Marie says the same thing. Marie Hardy talks about oh, meditation. Marie, are you just listing everybody that I love in the world? <laughs> How dare you, Clementine Ford? Are you here just to bring me pleasure today by listing people I love? That's what I do. <laughs> oh, my God. Clementine Ford, pleasure bringer. That's what the internet <laughs> says about you, right? Yeah, that's frequently the words used to yep. describe me, a pleasure bringer. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, no, I, I've, I'm not a regular meditator, but I have started sort of dabbling with meditation lately. And I agree. I think having taking that opportunity to sit in stillness is uh, extremely rewarding. But I, was, I said the other day about, um, you know, everything slowing down with what's happening as well in this sort of enforced... I, I remember hearing someone recently describe it as, uh, as the process of a caterpillar building a cocoon around itself and then sitting mm. in the goo for however long it takes for them to emerge as a butterfly. Like right now we're sitting in the goo of it and it's uncomfortable and slimy and gross in some ways, but we're also forming beautiful wings that will allow us to fly free. 
Absolutely. And when you looked at us as a caterpillar, would you ever have thought we could become a butterfly? Like that's the, it's the kind of learning that you can do in this time that is properly transformational. Yes. That's it, right? Yes. Anyway, we should move on to the question. <laughs> Are you um, sure you don't want any more of my half-baked <laughs> spiritual ideas? I, I will, uh, I will uh, get your notes on that. Give me the cliff notes. Um, <laughs> the gay notes. I am, of course, with the fabulous Virginia Gay, and we will be answering your questions today on the Big Sister Hotline. Please also note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Virginia Gay are doctors, psychologists, or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called life experience and names that belong to bawdy dilettantes from the 1920s who do everything society tells them not to. Have we ever got those names? <laughs> we have. Uncomfortable employee writes, I'm not really okay with my boss saying things like, hey, doll, and hey, beautiful, every time he greets me. There are other women in my workplace who he never refers to like this. He objectively is a good boss. And he hasn't made me feel uncomfortable in any other way. I also don't think he means it in a sexual way. I reckon he would be mortified to know it's been making me uncomfortable. But I'm a nervous person and now that he's said it a fair few times, I'm not sure how to bring it up. I really like my job, so I would like some suggestions on how to tackle this. Thank you. Virginia Gay, <sighs> have you ever experienced sexism in the workplace? <laughs> have I ever not would be a, a quicker answer, I'm sure. Um, I, I, I know that feeling so well that, is it nervous employee? Is that, is uncomfortable that, employee. Uncomfortable employee. I know that feeling so well. I'm sure every woman knows that feeling so well. You're like, it's not bad, bad, or is it? Or am I? Have I become desensitized to this? Or should I be making a joke about it? I don't know. Yeah, that that of course we're socially taught, and probably men have never had to have that chat with themselves. Um, yes, I have been made to feel uh, sexually uncomfortable in the workplace, but I have also. Oh, God. It's really hard how do you... to know how to... I mean, obviously, there's a power imbalance because he's her boss. And yeah. I think one of the things that makes these situations so tricky to deal with is that they do feel really vague. You know, yeah. not, it's not like he's slapped her on the ass. It's not like he's grabbed yeah. her tits. You know, bosses obviously do do that. But this is what... This is where this, uh, this is why this behavior proliferates and people get away with it because it relies on the vagueness of it to totally to not be called out. Because it, the onus is then placed on the person who's been made to feel uncomfortable to decide whether or not it's worth it. You know, do I say, I mean, he's a good guy, he probably doesn't know what he's doing, is making me uncomfortable, do I make things awkward? And so, what ends up happening, as you would well know, uh, is that women then are charged with just absorbing this discomfort so that they don't make the men around them feel implicated in bad behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. And what is the way out of this? What is the way out of this situation? I'll tell you to my, like, eternal lack of credit, I think I in the past have just absorbed it. Mm. 
Well, of course, we all do. And tried to, yeah, laugh it off. The thing is, but this there, is there's, yes, there's, a, there's a risk as well that comes from women calling out uh, even not sexual harassment in the workplace, but just sexually inappropriate language. I remember, mm-hmm. um, you know, and this is your industry that we're talking about here, but I remember a couple of years ago when finally the allegations about Louis C.K. could no longer be ignored because of the incredible reportage in the New York Times. And, you mm-hmm. know, Louis C.K. was someone who had for years refused to even, you know, engage with the, the allegations as if they were beneath him, as if somehow his art and his comedy were and his observations about life were so mm. important and so profound that these sort of ramblings from women were just distractions that were, were taking away from, from the real true art of what it was that he was creating. And then he finally had to cop to it and say, oh, yes, actually, I have been whipping my dick out in front of women without their consent and masturbating in front of them. Oh, sorry, my bad. And I remember people at the time, of course, saying, well, why didn't the women just leave? Why didn't they just walk out? Why didn't, you know, why didn't they say no? Of These mm-hmm. are the things that are always said to women. Why didn't you just tell your boss that you were uncomfortable? One of the most obvious reasons for that is that there's a, an element of fear. You know, women are conditioned to freeze more likely than not because we don't want to be physically hurt. But also because of that discomfort and that... Uh, I, I don't know if you relate to this, but I felt like if I were in that situation and indeed when I have been in similar situations, my immediate response is, is this really happening? Mm. You kind of sort of like even as you're watching it happen, you feel like this can't really be happening. This is mm-hmm. so weird. that. And then your second follow-up response is, well, I better not do anything that will make – this is so awkward and strange that – I better not do anything that will make him feel embarrassed. Yep. 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 God, that feeling, that thought process is so clear to me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because you're worried if, if they're, it's like, um, yeah, you're worried if somebody's frightened, they're going to lash out in a way that is additionally terrifying to you, you know, if they're yeah, frightened, yeah. if they're embarrassed. Yeah, or even, even not the lashing out. I think it's just the way that women are so, conditioned and socialized to prioritize prioritize men's feelings feelings and to not embarrass them because to embarrass a man to hurt his feelings yes there is a physical risk to us but also it's just we're the caretakers and Mm. an embarrassed man is somehow emasculated and we couldn't possibly do that to to him so we absorb the behavior and the discomfort and tell ourselves that it's fine that it's not affecting us and it doesn't really matter and they just continue to get away with it and some of the men who, who I mean, obviously not to Louis C.K. levels, that's definitely predatory and he knew exactly what he was doing. But men who just go through the workplace saying things like, hey, Dahl and hey, beautiful, and they, they don't necessarily know that what they're doing is inappropriate. Um, they should know that what they're doing is inappropriate, but they don't necessarily know because the world that we live in tells men that those things are okay. And that women should be flattered by that attention. So it makes it doubly difficult to call it out. And the world also has changed a lot in the last three or four years. So people who are perhaps not hooked into that are not even aware of the sort of acute level mm. at, at which people are going, hi, this is not okay. <laughs> you know, if you haven't engaged with any of the Me Too movement, then you sort of 
you haven't even got a fresh frame of eyes on what you're doing, which should, of course, have been, has been not appropriate for ages. But like, like now, particularly, you should be hearing that language. Yeah. Um. So, my question is to uncomfortable employee: is how how available is taking the air out of it with jokes about it's so fascinating the way nobody else gets gets called beautiful what do you not love anybody else here like what do you like you don't think you don't think Jeanette is beautiful Jeanette is gorgeous you don't think the vending machine is beautiful it's fascinating that's only me um so that he can hear that he's doing it you know it's definitely possible that it's so conditioned that they're not hearing it as inappropriate. They haven't got a framework around it that it's inappropriate. So letting them hear it with fresh ears, perhaps in a jokey way, so that you've not we're doing all of that additional emotional labour. Mm. I I agree. And one of the uh, pieces of advice that I've uh, offered for a long time um, to anyone who asks, how do I address sexism in a way that is kind of light-hearted, you know, or in a way mm. that my friends will listen or that doesn't bring harm to me is to use humor. So you say things like, um, Oh, sorry. You just kind of waggle your finger around in your ear and you go, sorry, I didn't hear that. I've just got a bit of sexism caught in my ear. Um, or you can ask someone like just totally play naive and say, I don't get it. What can you explain that joke to me? Um, or that's nice. or, Or you ask them to explain why it's funny. Um, I feel like I just want to kind of dig down a little bit as well into because so many women listening to this will relate to this question and will have this experience mm. and it's very frustrating. We also have the experience of being uh, completely overwhelmed by how difficult it is to articulate some of this discomfort, primarily yeah. because when we do articulate it or when we try, we're told that we're just overreacting. You know, yeah. well, it's just, he's just saying, hey, he's, it's a compliment, if anything. Why don't you just take the compliment? And, yeah. you know, to the thing is, and this is what I really want to remind everyone, it doesn't matter whether or not someone else would be okay with being called darling or beautiful. It doesn't matter whether or not someone else likes being yelled at from car windows or whether or not yeah. someone else enjoys having their ass grabbed in the pub. None of that matters. What matters is whether or not you like it because you yep. you have the right to be able to say these. this is how I want to be treated and this is yep. how I do not want to be treated and I don't like that language. It makes me feel bad or it makes me feel uh, insecure or it makes me feel whatever. We all have the right to, to say what it is that we will and will not accept and, and I, th- I feel like one of the things that makes it so difficult to talk about is because whenever we do try, there's always what feels like a wall of people, mainly men, standing around and yelling at us and saying, no, you must accept this language, which of course makes the situation even worse for us. Mm. So maybe even if you can use humour, that's helpful. But if you feel like you have the kind of, uh, otherwise have the kind of relationship with your boss, you know, you say that he's a nice person and you don't think that he means it in a sexual way. If you feel like you could say to him, hey, look, I feel like we have a really good working relationship and I know you don't mean to make me feel this way, but it, it does make me feel a little bit uncomfortable and I would rather, I would prefer it if you tried very 
hard not to use that language around me. And, you know, I'm going to gently remind you every time you do so that you can kind of stamp the language out. And then the proof will be in how he responds to that. Yeah, totally. You'll see very much the measure of a man and how he responds to that. I love that phrasing too. And I love that. That's beautiful managerial work that you've done there too, because that's the shit sandwich where you start with a great thing. Then there's the uncomfortable information in the middle. And then we end with the great thing as well. So that everybody feels looked after and there's a positive halo over the feeling rather than going in, um, going in with, pain and um anxiety and not knowing how to um cushion not knowing how to not knowing how to bring that into a room means there's no you you haven't got clear goals for what you want out of it and you actually don't think you don't think he means it then that's how you go in with like I love this job I think we've got a really great relationship just can we talk about this little thing that would be incredible if that would um, reduce. That would be so awesome because I love this job and I think we've got a really great relationship and I want to be here for ages, like that stuff. Just so it's... it's. Um... I mean, it's still frustrating, of course, that all of this kind of buffering and emotional management... It's on needs us. To be, yeah, it needs to be handled by us. But I guess that's the difference. You're talking about what is effective versus what should be the protocol. I mean, we still have to go with what's effective in exactly. our immediate lives. What's frustrating, and I'll, I'll just kind of wrap this up, but what's frustrating as well is you talked about the Me Too movement and, uh, you know, things rapidly changing and some people not having been swept up in that and some people still struggling. I feel like one of the most frustrating things about society's general response to Me Too is that, yes, a lot of terrible things were unearthed by the Me Too movement. The terrible things that women always knew were there but that no one talked about and within that it's sort of a little bit like that sitting in the goo of the cocoon again you know within that space despite how gross and yucky and uncomfortable it makes people there's so much opportunity for growth and for society to actually change and form into something better and it's frustrating how many people refuse to participate in that change or refuse to want that change to happen when you've literally got hundreds of thousands if not millions of women saying this is these are the experiences that we've had and we would like to not have these experiences anymore Mm -hmm. we would like to Mm -hmm. not have to be subjected to men's violence anymore and instead of men going oh shit that's like really fucking bad and we need to all be better and actually instead of men backing up what it is that they always tell us, which is, oh, well, we love women and we would never do anything to hurt them. So many of them instead choose, because it's a choice, choose to turn around and double down and dig their heels in and say, no, we have a right to behave this way. You're all just too sensitive and we yeah, refuse you don't, to Yeah, you don't have a right to have feelings in response to the way that we behave. <laughs> like, um, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. If you've got the right, then we have also the right to have the feelings. So that's a good lesson to end that question with, that mm. behaviour may not be intended to hurt someone, but what will tell you all you need to know about a person and whether or not you should stay in that situation is how they choose to respond to your feelings about it. If your boss, uncomfortable employee, says, I'm so sorry and I never meant to make you feel this way and I'm going to try really, really hard to get rid of that language and I may slip up but please just remind me and I and I c- am committed to changing great 
then he's a good person who is trying to be a better person. Or he's an okay who person who's trying to be a better person. But if he insists that you're the one with the problem and that his behaviour is fine and that you're just overreacting and that no one else has a problem with it, then you might have your answer about what to do. Yes, ma'am. Longing for More asks, I hope you're doing well. I am 17 and have been in a relationship with the same guy for about a year and a half. It's a great relationship and we really connect well with each other. Despite this, I find myself wanting to have sex with other people because I have only ever had sex with him and I feel like I'm missing out and experimenting with my sex life. I also am sure that he would never want to be in an open relationship. Would you be able to give me some advice, please? Hmm. Well, of course, this is a reminder to all teenagers out there, including my past self as a teenager. You don't just experiment when you're a teenager. You don't just experiment when you're young. In fact, all of the best times I have had in my life, in beds and out of them, have been in my 30s. And it's about having a significant level of self-worth and awareness of what makes me happy means that I'm a better explorer of the rest of the world, basically. Um, So don't feel like there's a, a time limit, a rush on things that you have to do when you're 17. If you're happy in the relationship right now, and it's also nourishing you in lots of ways, like if there's no significant, if there's nothing pushing you away other than curiosity, like the curiosity is not going to go away. And also the curiosity is not going to be like, it's not going to dry up. The curiosity is a glorious, wonderful font that will keep on coming. And you will, you, you've got so many years to meet hundreds, thousands of other people. Go out into the world and explore them. But if you're happy and it's actually nourishing, like if that relationship is actually nourishing for you and good for you, great. If this is, also, uh, if there's some um, curiosity about other people is masking something else, then you have to do the work and thinking about like what's driving you to be hungry for other things. Is it just the desire for variety or is it you're going, oh my God, I just really want to sleep with other people because I'm not getting this, I'm not getting this, I'm not getting this from this relationship. Mm. It's such a tricky one and, you know, I, I'm the same that the best times I've had uh, – in beds and out of beds have been in my 30s and it you know life just keeps getting better and better the more you know yourself and the more you come into your own power and for women that tends to uh happen with any luck definitely by the time we're in our 30s um because the teenage years are so riddled with insecurity um Mm -hmm. but it's it is tricky because you know this is a question or this sort of the theme of this question has again come up quite a lot in uh, the submissions to the podcast. I'm with a great guy. We get along really, really well. I love him. We connect. Uh, he's wonderful to me, but I have all of these desires for something else. And there's no easy answer to it because you really – you're hungry for something more than what you've got you may find that once you start feasting on that particular buffet, 
that you're keen again for just a good comforting ham and cheese sandwich on some homemade sourdough bread. Um, (laughs) I agree with what you're saying though, Virginia, and that is that if there's something else going on, then that's what you kind of need to interrogate and figure out. And the reason that I say that is because I think that, you know, we, we're very, it's really easy for women to feel like we have to be satisfied with something that's just nice. Um, mm, yes. Because the thing, of course, that we're told we should want above all else is a man to love us and a man yep. to take care of us and to be nice to us. What we're not encouraged really to do is to be single. And because it's a, a single woman terrific. Yes. I mean, it's bloody amazing being single and being in control of your own life and, and being able mm-hmm. to make choices about who you sleep with and who doesn't get to come to your house and who's, yeah. whose emotional problems you don't need to handle this week. Yes. Um, but yep, the goal is always we need to find a man, we need to find a relationship uh, that will satisfy us because if we're single and if we're alone, the saddest thing that a woman can be is alone, (laughs) then we're sort of just kind of drifting around with, you know, purposeless and just kind of like an atom making its way through the world waiting to be picked up by something that will make it meaningful, you know? Yeah. I mean, you work in in the entertainment industry and the the ways in which women in entertainment are... You know, Taylor Swift wasn't even 25 before she'd had 10 failed relationships. Like, what's a failed relationship supposed to be? What One that began, had a process and then ended? Oh, it's a failed relationship as opposed to just a relationship. A relationship, yeah. Yeah. You know, informed our lives in some way and that we had really nice times in and then came to its natural conclusion. Totally. And as you said, too, that we learnt lessons from, that we, we got extraordinary joy from. It does. It's absolutely true that something doesn't have to last. Nothing has to last any length of time to be enormously significant for you, for your heart, for your development in the soul. So it, you can you can finish things. You can also in this situation too. I'm thinking. Okay, so you think he probably wouldn't want to be in an open relationship. Is there? a conversation that you can have where you want, if you want to do something more sexually, like if you want, if you wanted to push any other boundaries safely and consensually and present and sane, but if you wanted to experience other things with him, is that something that would, would like, would be of interest to either of you basically? Mm -hmm. So, or is it very specifically the otherness is interesting. And your point to Clementine about the grass always being greener on the other side is certainly important in decision-making. I also think that we need to remind uh, or need to reassure longing for more that um, that feeling doesn't go away. It's, it's true. It's very normal <laughs> to be in love with someone and be satisfied and contented with them and to, and to not want to not be with them. It's very normal to feel satisfied in that relationship and yeah. still want to fuck every single person that you see at the supermarket. In fact, if, you, so true. If, you're, if you have a good sex life and if you are in touch with yourself sexually and really, you know, feeling yourself, then I find personally that it, it increases my attraction to everybody else. If I'm sort it's, of yeah. a bit – if nothing's really happening sexually, then I'm not really interested in anything. Yep. Yep. I absolutely agree. It's one of those ones where um, 
more breeds more. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like um, <laughs> but I think Longing's, Longing's point is that this is the only person she's been with, right? So she's at the beginning of her sexual journey and it's so filled with possibility and with potential. But again, that possibility and potential doesn't go away. So you are well within your well within your emotional and moral and sexual rights to stay with this person as long as they continue to make you happy and to end it and start other adventures at any time, mm. at any time. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're only 17 and life with any luck will be long and filled with rich possibility. Mm. And, you know, you say, I find myself wanting to have sex with other people. My darling, you will have lots mm. of sex with lots of other people and it will be, some of it will be really bad and some of it will be really short and some of it will be... Uh, life the changing. Best, the best sex of your life, but people that you would never want to be in a relationship with. Isn't that such a killer, that I one? Know. That is the one that hurts I the know. most. Oh my God, it hurts so much, that one. Where you're like, but look, look I at what know. our bodies do. Why I can't know. our souls do this? The, the best sex I ever had was with someone who I genuinely thought I just could never. I just could never have a relationship with you because you are so pretentious and oh god and no worse that was even worse to have great sex with someone who was just incredibly pretentious oh how embarrassing I can't even to have great sex with someone who knows that they deliver great sex jog oh, on oh god just just I just Shit. felt humiliated by the whole experience that I was so into it <laughs> Damn it. Um, I'm also, so sorry. You'll have sex with people where you physically, where every part of your brain is like, why am I enjoying this so much? I'm not even physically getting off on it, but this person is just so beautiful or so yeah. hot or so, like ceremonially there. I just want all of it. And that that's confusing too, you know, where you're like, this is sort of ostensibly quote unquote bad sex because uh, I have I'm getting no pleasure physically out of it at all but I'm getting like some kind of weird erotic pleasure out of just touching this beautiful person yeah um, uh, I think you're right too that pheromones the pheromones kick oh my god just don't get in the way of it that's <laughs> that's again safe sane and consensually but that's the job where you're like oh god i'm feeling this okay well then um come and let me smell your armpits that's not my kink yes. by the way guys well I that's think not it when uh when you sort of are kind of like f attracted to someone's pheromonal makeup mm. an armpit sniff can be you know, I, just, I think that this is a little bit like what we were saying earlier about the teenage years. You know, you've just got to go through it. And mm. you, you've started having sex with this person who so sounds like he's very nice and it sounds like he is the best first person for you to have sex That's with. true. That's a really good start. Think yeah. about all the, oh, the, all, the, all the much less good starts there are. Yeah, this sounds like a great start. It's a wonderful start and he's and he's teaching you in some ways part of what you're getting out of this experience is learning that you deserve to be with someone who's nice to you and who you have a great connection with and 
That's that's a wonderful thing. And you you could maybe be with him for another five years or you could be with him for another six months or you could decide to break up with him tomorrow. And all of that would be fine. I will pass on some advice that my mother gave to my brother when he was breaking up with his first girlfriend because I think it's very sage wisdom. And she said, I mean, obviously there are some toxic situations that just break down, so consider those ex- exclusive from this. But she said that if you are going to break up with someone, to do it in a way that would mean that if you saw them on the street one day, you could look at each other and smile and think that was a parting well made. Oh, that's really good. Isn't it good? It's so good. And I and I think that just whether or not you decide to uh, go and explore greener pastures or what certainly seems like it might be greener pastures, as long as you behave ethically and morally and treat this person who has who you've had such a wonderful time with treat them and their heart with respect and with kindness and with gentleness then nothing that you choose will be the wrong answer true that are you thinking about heading out during isolation stay in and go fuck yourself instead As we all do our bit to flatten the curve, the good folk at Wild Secrets want to make sure that everyone is staying home by tempting them indoors with a little isotainment. So please go fuck yourself for everyone's sake. It is frustrating not being able to get out, hang out and uh, make out with each other, but that's no reason to be sexually frustrated. Let's get through this by staying and playing at home. Confused asks, I'm in my late 20s and currently single. When I was 17, I started a long-term relationship which ended around the age of 26 with a lot of sadness and disappointment. As well as losing the person I thought I'd be with until I was old, I also lost my best friend, especially as he moved on just over one month later and is still with that new person as far as I know. As you can imagine, it's a bit complicated, but the thing I wanted to ask your advice on is, why do people stalk an ex on social media, especially for a relationship that ended badly? My long-term ex has viewed my Instagram story several times recently, and just a few days ago. As a cut and dry person, I don't get it. It makes me wonder what the purpose is and what it achieves. In some ways, it feels like the coward's way of being involved or finding out about someone's life, especially seeing as we last talked around three years ago. Have you ever stalked a social, uh, an ex on social media, Virginia Gay? Oh, I'm, I, wish, I wish your listeners could see my face right now. Have I ever? Of course I have. What is social media for if not that and the agony that it brings? My question, uh, it's, it's so awkward because I want to ask questions to Confused. My question is... How did how did the other person, how did they think and how did the other person feel like the relationship ended? Because my first long-term relationship, my partner had this incredible relationship with his ex. And I got a template from them, from their past relationship, about how you continue to be, how you continue to show up for people, you continue to be friends with an ex, It's never a threat. It's about an abundance of love and community. 
and are looking out for each other. And it's really, I mean, honestly, we're talking before about like how you start this journey is enormously important and the patterns you learn early on. But my God, like what a way to learn that that is how you engage with your ex and your ex's exes. Um, so my question is, does, does confused ex think that it ended well and that this is a way of continuing to connect with her? And also when when they said interacted, like what are we talking? Are we talking commenting on or are we just talking possibly? Well, on Instagram you can see if someone's watched your stories. Yes, but she did say watch them lots. And I'm like, how do you, do, do you have a counter system going on? What's happening here? I want to know. I want to well, know if anybody's watched my stories lots. Yeah, and I mean to an extent it also means that you are looking out for his name. That is also true. That's true. Also remember that the algorithm, I mean – God help us. I only had to do this for the first time recently where I was like, I am going to mute an uh, X because I actually can't have the algorithm constantly offering up that name to be like, do you want to send it? Do you want to do, is that the person that you want me to autocorrect this to? No, I don't <laughs> because my heart is broken. Jog on. Um, he might not think it's a big deal, but has she created, have you confused, created a narrative around this that is, he's reaching out in the only way he knows how because he wants to come back to you? Is that what you're thinking? That's my question. And maybe he is. Maybe he, maybe he's thinking, well, the grass that I – the green grass that I mm -hmm. saw is not as green as the grass that I left. But the thing is, either way, no matter what his motivation is, that's his problem to deal with. That totally. Those are his feelings. You're not responsible for his feelings. Um. If you still harbour some resentment over how it ended, then I suggest you write a letter to him and don't send it. Oh, that's good. Get all of your feelings out or even stage an imaginary – I'm sure you've had lots of an imaginary conversations with him, but, but you know, verbalise it out loud, the anger that you have towards him and the feelings of frustration and probably also a sense of a lack of closure. You know, mm. you were together for – nine years that's a really long time particularly coming from 17 to 26 that's a transition into adulthood that has in some way shaped and impacted who you are as an adult um and what kind of person you became i would also suggest that it's it's not too absurd to perhaps seek counseling for that not because you know, oh, well, you need to get over it, so you need to go to therapy. But actually to, to speak to a professional about someone who will help you in real time to process that anger and to process those feelings and that disappointment. You said that you, you thought that you would be together forever. Um, I mean, forever is a strange concept that I feel like, again, sort of when you get to your 30s, your perception of what relationships and that sense of forever changes dramatically. Uh, so be assured that there are, um, be assured that there is light at the end of that tunnel. Uh, but also maybe just be a petty bitch about it as well and <laughs> live your best life in your Instagram stories. Look great, be fabulous and show him what he's missing out on. But this is the thing and I love that. I actually love that. But don't, for the love of God, don't make that your only reason for posting. Do it, do it yes. for your own joy. And if he happens to see it, that's fine. But do it for your 
own joy because I have also done this too. If you've just mm. posted six months worth of material that you know has a targeted message inside it, but weirdly they haven't understood it, <laughs> honey, you are making an absolute coffin for yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, I read a really great thing the other day about uh, the difference between ask culture and guest culture. And the person was uh, basically saying that there are two kinds of people. There are people who have been taught to ask for what they want and there's been there are people who've been people who've been taught to ask directly for what they want and people who have been taught to kind of uh, shift around the edges so that someone else has to guess what it is that they want. And there's m- many different reasons why we've had that learning um often it's passed down from our parents uh and we're responding as well to um you know guest culture people tend to be a bit more passive aggressive because they may have been taught that asking outright for something is met with anger or resistance um or manipulation so ask yourself i suppose in your motivation for uh wanting to know why he is doing this, will you be creating a rod for your own back by by participating in the guest culture side of things? You could just ask him outright, why are you watching my stories? That may be a way for you to to broach that conversation that perhaps you feel like you need to have, which is to say to him, you really hurt me and you really created a... You disrespected what it was that we had together and... You did not make it a parting well made. Um, mm. And maybe you have, maybe you should have that conversation with him because you are entitled to let him know how you feel. The only problem is that he may not receive it in the way that you want him to. But again, that's on him. That's his responsibility to have to deal with. And it's definitely possible too that it's the algorithm that has thrown your stories in his eyesight and he might not even really be consciously thinking any of this like he might not even really be registering this and then it's a again it's another thing that we have made in our own heads Mm. that is exhausting for us and for no one else so as much as we can disengage with that and maybe just say maybe it's just the algorithm maybe it's just the algorithm I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Clementine Ford, you look so beautiful. We should do so many Zooms hangouts. Oh, Zooms hangouts. I would love that. I'm 96. <laughs> do I was saying to a friend last night that Zoom, it, as much as it is, um, like everyone suddenly knows about Zoom. I never knew about it before. <laughs> it's this workplace thing. But it feels, I feel very like comfortable in Zoom because it sounds like something that an old person has made. <laughs> does doesn't it like something from the 90s oh we're zooming oh yes oh i did a zoom with her earlier oh it was lovely i I learned all about the zoom i i've i've zoomed with them and i've zoomed over here and everywhere i go zoom 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 (laughs) there's your final musical sting (laughs) don't even play another one just zoom 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 You are brilliant, Virginia Gay. I love that you've joined me today on the Big Sister Hotline from your makeshift adult uh, soundproof fort over there in California. 
California. Um, yeah, it looks like I'm sitting in a pillow fort right now, guys, because I have a child's duvet and a gold velour spread just draped over a, um, a clothes rail in a cupboard because that is how cool and glamorous acting is. Can you tell everyone uh, what you are working on right now or what you plan to be working on once isolation finishes? What can we see you in next? Absolutely. I'm writing two shows, two theatre shows, which I am so excited about. And I'm a person who definitely I'm a high achiever, but I also resent working. (laughs) I resent waking up and doing working, especially anything that's self-motivated. I'll do it for What was that? Sorry. You said doing working. (laughs) Yes, doing working, like Zooming. Um, But I wake I wake up every morning and I go and I sit down and I write and I am surprised by this development and I am not getting in the way of it. I'm not overthinking it. I'm like, if you, <laughs> if these words want to come out my fingers right now, I am thrilled and grateful. So they should be on in Australia at the end of 2021 because that's how theatre moves. That's how theatre works. But I really, I've noticed in myself, I pitched these shows a couple of months ago and there was interest then, but I have noticed in myself how much I want to be a part mm. of getting the Australian art scene happy and working again. I want to be there to go like, here's a reason to come back to theatre because live theatre is the best fucking feeling in the world. And sitting in the dark with a group of strangers, seeing people break their heart in front of you for your privilege that is that is a thing that sitting alone watching Netflix at 4am cannot and will not give you. I actually, no, not one word of a lie, I actually just got chills while you were talking about that. I'm so thrilled. Because it's, and, it, and it's so true and it's, uh, you know, you and I both have a lot of friends who are obviously being directly impacted by the inability to work right now and to add insult to injury, the the refusal to acknowledge and recognise the contribution that artists and creatives make to communities and to the the world that we live in by suggesting somehow that, well, their work is irrelevant or they, you know, they don't deserve to be properly financially taken care of alongside other quote-unquote essential, you know, participants is just so insulting, so insulting. And you're absolutely right that the the vision around this is so myopic right now because what are we all doing? But we are watching art. Like we all, all of us are watching television shows. All of us are like packing comedy specials in. That's what we're doing. So the idea that somehow that just springs fully formed into the world without without career steps, without little independent theatres, without people who become breakout stars dragging the rest of a theatre company with them. Like that's, it's insane to me, absolutely insane to me. And the glee and the delight that some people, you know, the the world's worst humans seem to be (laughs) taking in the thought that, you know, artists have been left out, like it's a win for the right somehow, or it's like a strike against the left is... I hope that once we do emerge from this cocoon a, as a beautiful butterfly <laughs> life, that they will be left behind in the goo because fuck those people. They don't deserve to enjoy anything that people... They don't deserve Killing Eve. They don't deserve Fleabag. 
No, they do not. And they do not deserve your two new theatre shows. <laughs> Thank you so much. Australia at the end of 2021. Uh, Virginia Gay, you're a marvel. You're a delight. Everyone was so excited when they heard you were coming on to the show this week because everyone loves you. Literally nobody does not love you. That's and hilarious. I'm so thrilled. I hope I don't disappoint. I constantly, whenever I do a podcast, I'm always like, I hope I wasn't dull, mad, or like worst of all, just completely, completely insane and awful. I just... Absolutely impossible. Definitely <laughs> not. You've been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back, your big sisters. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes. If you like it, please do consider leaving a review and rating it because it definitely helps. Send your questions to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com or contact me directly on Instagram at clementine underscore Ford. And you can support the ongoing making of the podcast at my Patreon, which is also Clementine Ford. There's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.